We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2020 Week 11. DraftKings picks, preview, stacks, got it all for you, position by position. If you haven't smashed the like button yet, give your head a shake. Go do that right now. And in the comment section, give me your favorite value defense for Week 11. Who are you putting in at the bottom of your roster to save some cap space? That, you know what, favorite low-end defense or favorite low-end tight end? Because it seems like that's where we're going to have to save some money this week. Also, if you have not entered the best tournament on DraftKings, the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. Do so right now. Link is in the description of the video and podcast. $15 to play, three max entry, no rake, almost full too. So you might want to go get your spot right now. And if you don't know what you're doing or you just want to generate lineups at a far faster pace and get some of that good research in you, go to ftndaily.com right now. You can find that link in the description as well. You got the optimizer, the player projections, the cornerback matchups, the shadow index, plus all of the free tools that are available as well. Use code Mayo, get yourself a discount it's already highly discounted because we're more than halfway through the season it would be unfair to charge full price so it's like prorated for the rest of the season and you get it through the playoffs too don't forget DraftKings still exists during the playoffs you have the full slates the showdown slates it's fantastic stuff good tournaments too anyway check all of that out joining me on the line right now from establishlehun.com I hear that is a French football site it's Mike Leone what's up What's up, Mayo? I'm excited to be back on the show. I think last time we talked was before the season, I believe. Was it? No, I think you were here like week three, weren't you? No, was it you week weren't. three? I, th- I thought it was like the show to get ready for the season was Maybe. the last time I was here. Like Maybe. the way too early look at pricing. Maybe it was. Hey, you've been like, you've been just crushing like big scores. Paul, you have a question. It was uh, August 20th was the last time there was a DM um, where where I dropped our link for this uh, exact meeting. So there we go, August 20th. So it was the preview to this, the very like initial reaction to week one DraftKings pricing. Yes, sir. Well, now we're back. So tell us about all your big hits, because I'm jealous. 
<laughs> yeah, I've had a good run in the Thunderdome and I do a uh, tilt show with Peter Overset and Joe Holka and we, we took down a tournament. So it's been a good year. Drew Dinkmeyer and I do a GPP show at Establish the Run called Establish a Million each Saturday where we kind of talk through our ideas. It's been a pretty good year if you've been playing contrarian in tournaments. We've had a few weeks this past week, most notably where the chalk has failed. This past week was a really kind of crazy week. So if you've been taking some chances in tournaments, you've you've definitely had you know opportunities to rise to the top of the field. Do you think that's the move? Because, I mean, you're talking about the Thunderdome that costs a lot of money to play in. But is the strategy all that much different in something like the Thunderdome than one of the high-dollar single-entry ones? Like even like a $100 single-entry. Because you can find later in the week the smaller size tournaments. You don't need to play in the $100 single-entry with 6,000 people in it. You can find one that has like 500 people in it if you want to. With the same rules apply to playing those high stakes like a thunderdome to these smaller size tournament high dollar single entries yeah i think so and you know i've been playing a lot of 200 man fields you know the juke is a little bit more expensive still that's like 400 but um there's the 50 red zone i believe there, there's definitely some tournaments where you can get into that are you know between 200 and 600 people and i think that's the sweet spot where you know, everyone who's playing GPPs wants a chance to win. And I don't think they take a step back to realize if they're competing against 10,000 other people, you know, they could go 10 NFL DFS seasons without winning a tournament. It's probably not going to happen. So, for, you know, on one hand point, it's just purely from an entertainment and fun standpoint, like having a legitimate shot to win a tournament by playing with a field size less is, is beneficial. But I think the strategy is a little bit easier too, where you can really on these weeks where things go wrong, you can have a lineup that's not perfect and win, uh, you know, really trying to win those weeks when scores are actually lower, not when they're higher and you need the absolute nuts. And I think that's the benefit to playing these small field tournaments. You don't need to hit the absolute nuts. And once you realize that, you know, it kind of opens the door for understanding what correlation plays you should make, understanding what leverage pivots you should make. So I'm really into the, you know, 200 to 500 man field sizes. So I maybe this will be the quickest show in history. How about this? Play Jameis, Michael Thomas, and Emmanuel Sanders. Bring <laughs> it back with Julio and Calvin Ridley and figure out the rest. Uh, the Saints are driving me nuts, you know, working on the projections early in the week. Because one, it's such a stark contrast in quarterback styles going from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston in terms of, you know, really high completion percentage quarterback, low ADOC quarterback to someone who's basically the opposite, you know, this guy who will make mistakes, but he'll push the ball downfield. One of the higher ADOT quarterbacks in all of NFL history in Jameis Winston. So that aspect of it is somewhat tough to project, you know, what happens to a Michael Thomas, you know, cause in, in a way I prefer Drew Brees just feeding him slants 10 times a game, even though we haven't seen it this year. Uh, but Jameis obviously expands the route tree a little bit in terms of getting the ball to Thomas down the field. We'll see if he's able to do that. And then also you've got the Taysom Hill stuff, you know, how much are they going to mix him in? I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking that early in the week, but I'm worried that we see Hill mixed in just enough that it's really annoying. I mean, it was even annoying with Breeze at times and I could see them going to that well a bit more often with Breeze hurt. I don't think it is the safest play, obviously, that's on the board because those concerns that you raise. 
I do, however, think that a lot of people are going to think along the same lines. Like, is Taysom Hill going to steal touchdowns? What does this offense look like? And while everyone on paper likes the idea of Jameis starting at quarterback and throwing bombs to Michael Thomas down the field, that they're just not sure if it's going to happen. That if you're going to play this stack, this is probably the week to do it and actually get reasonable ownership on it because people are still a bit afraid of it. And there are other options that you can go to. So if it hits, then you know next week it's going to be triple the ownership or double the ownership. And if it hits yeah. again the week after that against Atlanta again, it's going to be the chalkiest thing on the slate. You actually have an advantage right now that if you go with it, it's not going to be the most popular one out there. That's a good point. I, I was that way with DeAndre Swift for weeks and finally got paid off last week after losing tons of money on him. It's definitely pays to be early before the ownership is there. And despite my concerns, it is a wide range of outcomes. And those are the situations you want to attack the wide range of outcome situations where people are playing the more recent result and not really seeing the bigger picture or they're, you know, they're playing the downside when in tournaments, we care more about the upside. If the downside hits and we lose, so be it. I will say too, looking at quarterback this week, we don't have a ton of the studs on the week. So if there's a week two where you're going to take some chances on some cheaper quarterback stacks, it's absolutely this week. This is kind of an old school DraftKings week by feel, you know, our top values on ETR right now at quarterback there, you know, the, we have three or four guys in the top five or six that are sub $6,000, which, you know, hasn't happened much at all so far this season with, all the performances we've been seeing from Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Russ Wilson, et cetera, all those guys listed not on the slate. Yeah. Do you think I, with the COVID uh, report that like the entire defense for the Raiders has to sit, do you think there's any chance <laughs> that gets flexed out of Sunday night and put onto the slate? I don't think so this early, but we did see them do, I believe it was a Raiders game earlier in the year where we saw them do that, where they were basically concerned the game might get canceled. Uh, if they have concerns, the game might get canceled. You know, they obviously don't want a dead game Sunday night. You know, they would get absolutely killed. So I'd say it's pretty small. I, I feel like they would have done it already if they were going to do it, but maybe we'll find out later in the week. I think it's just a Vegas thing. Like Paul and Cody do the UFC show, and every time that they hold a card in Vegas, mm -hmm. like two or three fights drop off because of positive COVID tests. Now we're seeing it with the Raiders over and over that you know, maybe Vegas isn't the best spot, at least in, in 2020, <laughs> uh, to be hosting your games. Yeah. Maybe they should just go back to Oakland for the year. Yeah. Um... <laughs> you got no I got, I got nothing that? on. You got nothing on I, that? I got nothing on the Vegas, the Vegas COVID link. All right. So let's talk about running backs then. <laughs> McCaffrey's out, so he's gone at 9400 bucks. Then that leaves Kamara and Dalvin Cook at 9000 and 9200 bucks. Then you have Derrick Henry at 8000 Then there's a huge drop-off. With the stacks that I want to play with some of these higher-priced receivers with their quarterbacks, I don't know if I can get to Kamara, Cook, or Henry this week, which really terrifies me. Yeah, the Cook one is particularly terrifying. You know, you've seen what has been done to that Dallas team on both sides of the ball since Dak went out. Dallas runs at a fast pace, but they're not very good, which is just a fantasy dream for the opposing team. And Cook's snaps are actually way up the past few weeks since he's returned from injury. You know, we saw him somewhat 65, 25 or so with Madison, 65, 35 with Madison at, at points early in the year. And we've seen a couple of games recently too, the past three where it's been like 90% Cook. And with his efficiency and the way they're committed to run the ball, you know, in a dome game, it really, the ceiling is absolutely massive for Cook. I mean, I think if you're fading him, you're hoping the touchdowns early come via the passing game, and then maybe it's a little bit of a blowout, and we actually do see Madison mixed in in the fourth quarter. 
but uh, Cook is the scariest fade of those top guys for sure. What do you make of Kamara? Because I feel like he is going to be the one who is left on the outside here because his role with Jameis, frankly, I think is the most up in the air. Did they just turn around and hand him the ball 20 times? Like Jameis isn't really a check down artist. Yeah, it's a tough spot. And our initial projections are pretty tame on Kamara, pretty tame on, on New Orleans in general. I'm just worried that they might run the ball a little bit more, which even for a running back like Kamara, that's not necessarily good. I mean, with Kamara, you really want the checkdowns, as you mentioned. In the run game, it's pretty evenly split between him and Latavius Murray. It could go either way. So you want them throwing. So I'm a little bit concerned, but if we see ownership, anything like last week, where he was 15% because everyone played Aaron Jones. If that's a similar dynamic this week where everyone plays Dalvin Cook and, and Alvin Kamara is 15%, you want a piece of that. We've seen the upside. We saw it last week in the three-touchdown game. So uh, the other component of this, too, with the cheaper quarterback, and I know you want to get in some high-priced receivers, but if you chose not to build that way, it's not like there aren't viable cap relief options that let you get up to these running backs. I mean, it might not be the way you want to build in, in tournaments, but it's definitely doable. Oh, sure. It's just this, the preferred stacks that I want to play. I'm going to overload on those yeah. games, especially if you do take the Saints and Falcons game, like all those receiving options minus Sanders or Cook on the Saints side is going to be super expensive. So then you're left with not terrible options at running back. See, here's the thing. If we drop down a little bit more, I don't feel terrible running out a combination of like Mike Davis and James Conner as my running backs this week. I don't yeah. love it, obviously. I'd rather have Cook and Kamara, but you have to trade off somewhere. And I like those two guys in nice rebound spots. And I don't think a lot of people are going to end up on. I don't want to say a lot of people won't end up on them. People will play those two. They're both in great spots. They're both good running backs in bounce back weeks uh, in fantastic matchups. But just with the way the construction works out this week, it does seem like people are going to go to the top and try to pay for one of these guys. And if you do that, you're not going to have enough money left over for one of those two. Yeah. And, you know, Connor, his share of the carries has been way up. The issue with him recently is they just scored a lot of passing touchdowns and their receivers are so dominant. They've started to filter out these running back targets and give them to the receivers. But as far as the pure running back touches, I mean, I don't know if Anthony McFarland was hurt last week or what, but he was inactive, which was somewhat a surprise. So that removes a body there. Um, that just leaves Benny Snell, who didn't get much run last week. So uh, in a game against Jacksonville, that could be the positive game script. I think the ceiling's there for James Conner. Could have said it last week, and they just kept throwing, even in a windy game, even up big against Cincinnati. Um, but that that's, doesn't mean it's going to continue one week to the other. I like you know Mike Davis sort of bounce back. I'm hoping people don't play him. He's been a conundrum. I know a lot of people are attributing his failures to the rise of Curtis Samuel and him playing a little bit more out of the backfield. And I, there's definitely something to that. But also, if you look at the offensive plays run for Carolina, they've just had a few weeks where the offense has run 50-ish plays, which is exceedingly low in today's NFL. I mean, you're talking about the averages in the mid to low 60s there. So you're playing against a team in Detroit who – our DVP metric on ETR has it as the most favorable matchup for running backs. They're also a team that allows a ton of plays. So I think it's a good spot for Mike Davis to get back on track, even though he's failed the last few times out without Christian McCaffrey. What about Derrick Henry against Baltimore? Will people hearken back to what he did in the playoffs against them a year ago, or just kind of look at his recent game log and be like, not great, Derrick. If you're not going off, you're, you're basically ruining my lineup. 
I think he's going to be almost unowned, right? I mean, because you got Aaron Jones at 7,200. How many people are are, are going to click Derrick Henry for $800 more than Aaron Jones? In I, a you, you know what? I would. I would click Derrick Henry over clicking Aaron yeah. Jones. Yeah. I think it makes sense in terms because I think you're in the minority there. I do not think you're in the majority. I think a lot of people are either going up to Dalvin Cook because they can afford it this week or they're going to take the – you know, the perceived better value in Aaron Jones. So I think it's really good opportunity to get Henry at low ownership and Henry, I always say this, the line between a mundane game for him and a massive game seems so thin. You know, it just, he goes from 18 carries for 90 yards and no touchdowns and this horrible outing. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, 22 carries for 140 yards and two touchdowns. And he's the highest scoring running back on the slate. So he is, the perfect play at low ownership and GPP guy fade at high ownership and GPP guy. I do a Friday evening live show, 7:30 PM Eastern time on FTNDaily.com with Havi and Kyle Murray and Kyle's ownership projections. The first run of them right after the injury report comes out. Uh, and we kind of walk through this. I'm very curious to see what his projected ownership is, because if it is like sub, I don't want to say sub 5%. That's really low, but sub, let's say 8%. And Cook is looking like he's going to be like 35%, and one of these guys below him. Like, I, I just don't see a lot of love for Aaron Jones this week, to be perfectly honest. Like, Indy's a tough matchup, and he's coming off a week where he was the chalk and busted. I don't think a lot of people are going to go to him. I mean, if that's the case, I, if they're both low owned, I'll take Aaron Jones at $800 cheaper. I know there's some concern that this is a a slower paced game, but it's still like a higher total dome game. And Aaron Jones, he's just so explosive. I mean, him and Henry both. I mean, he, he sort of has that fine line between a mundane game and a big game too sometimes because he's so dependent on touchdowns and some big plays. But I've really been encouraged this season with how they've used Aaron Jones in the past game. I mean, he's about, I think, a 15 to 16% target share on the year. So uh, I think end of the day, though, Jones is more like 15-ish and then Henry's more like five. I think he's gonna be around 5%. I think in small field stuff that we talked about early, you know, Henry might be sub five, quite frankly. Um, but in the MME type stuff of uh, the Millie maker, he'll probably be in that five to 8% range. It just strikes me as the guys between Derek Henry and James Connor. You have Kareem Hunt. I guess, I guess Mike Davis. We'll throw him into this mix too, because Davis has a really good matchup. But Chubb, Chubb and Jones and Hunt all have basically terrible matchups. Philly has a very good run defense. India has a very good run defense. Uh, and you never know what the split is going to be between Chubb and Davis. Chubb is like the mini version yeah. of Henry where he can just kind of do nothing. And they're like, oh my God, he's the highest scoring guy on the slate. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, if he just scored that touchdown last week, uh, instead of going out at the one yard line, I think that he would have been the highest scoring running back of the week. So there's that to play with. And then you have Miles Sanders in there who almost has a similar situation to Derrick Henry right now where the matchup, if you look at it, just without digging into it all, like, oh, that's kind of a tough matchup, but you can run on the Browns. That's not really a problem. It's just, will they have the opportunity to run on the Browns? Because Philly has been abysmal, and then all of a sudden, Boston Scott is getting mixed in. It's kind of like the Connor situation in a weird way, where Sanders is playing all of these snaps, he's getting all of this work, but when they score, it's just never him. I'm a little more encouraged about Sanders. He, he ran really bad last week. I think he scored 14 DraftKings points, and it, it could have been 25. He dropped a few balls that he should have caught. He came in just under the bonus. You know, Scott had the long touchdown run. Let's give credit to Scott. But Corey Clement had four snaps or four touches in that game, and he runs in a short one. I think that's kind of bad luck and not necessarily indicative of the future. So 
I like Sanders quite a bit this week, especially if people are going to say, oh, he just did okay last week. Matchup's not great. His price went up. You know, why would his price go up here? If people are thinking along those lines, I'm, I'm really looking at how that game could have been a monster game last week. And uh, I, I like I like Miles quite a bit this week. He's probably my favorite in that 6K range. I like him more than Connor, even though I think Connor's fine. Uh, looking at some of the other guys. I, I like you know, Davis. Davis. I like Davis more than Sanders this week. I'm I'm t- Mike Davis has yeah I've gone out on a limb for Mike Davis and he's burned me and so I feel like I need to go back but I can only go back so hard uh, or my heart will break if he ruins it for me again and then you know no one will play James Robinson against this Pittsburgh run defense so it's a really interesting slate too because I think a lot this slate more than any other this year when I look at the running back values outside of Dalvin Cook let's say. It's tight, man. I mean, you can make cases for a lot of guys, and I wonder if ownership gets pretty spread out and it ends up being a play whoever you want week. I mean, we haven't even touched on DeAndre Swift, who well, we'll, we'll started. Get, we'll, we'll get to him here in a second because okay. he's Pat Mayo's trap of the week, DeAndre Swift. Oh, okay. All I, right. I, I have this all worked out perfectly here. You know what's going to happen in this game against Carolina? What's going to happen? 16 carries for Adrian Peterson. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible. But the reason I like Swift so much is even before the start last week and all the positive signs we saw last week, he's been getting the high value touches. You know, he's got he had a double digit target share going into that game. He was getting goal line touches going into that game. So I feel like your worst case scenario is he splits with Adrian Peterson somewhat evenly and you're not happy about it, but you still got the high value touches to rely on. The best case scenario is he's unleashed and we're playing Alvin Kamara at $6,400 against the Carolina Panthers. I understand that. The problem is he is now priced up with a lot of these guys that aren't in split situations, or we know better what their role is actually going to be well there's downside with all these guys if they have a bad game with swift he might have a good game just not get the touches to make it as valuable as this price point would indicate when he was plus he's going to come with a lot of ownership people are going to play deandre swift this week chasing another big week when he was 5100 bucks you could live with the downside that came along with him now that he's up in the six thousand dollar range there are equivalent options around him at lower ownership that frankly just have a better floor and as much upside yeah, I'll buy that. Uh, I, I still, I like him quite a bit. I'm interested what the final ownership comes in on. If people balk at the price po- jump or if they're like, yeah, I'm all in on DeAndre Swift after last week. So uh, if it's more the latter, then, you know, I have him projected basically the exact same amount of points as Mike Davis. So uh, yeah. I play Mike Davis at half or a third the ownership. Uh, I have Mike Davis projected for a little bit more. I have DeAndre Swift projected exactly the same as James Conner. Okay. And I think far more so, people will use Swift than Connor. Yeah. Uh, in general, though, I mean, a lot, uh, right? Don't you think there's a lot of backs like pretty jumbled together in this, you know, around 17 point DraftKings projection or, um, oh, a, a, or a, even a, if you take. A, absolutely. I just don't, I think that there's going to be like hard, firm choices in this area because some people are going to want to pay up for one of the big two, probably Cook. Mm-hmm. And then you get into this range. 
and I think it's going to be kind of dead outside of the guys that are super chalky. Like, is anyone going to use James Robinson like you mentioned? No. Is anyone going to use Zeke? No. Is anyone going to use Kareem Hunt? No. So you're down to Jones, Sanders, Davis, Connor, and Swift. Swift is the cheapest. Therefore, I think that he will end up being the higher owned. Yeah. So, I mean, we saw this at wide receiver a little bit last week where there were like eight guys and it was, you know, who's going to be chalky. Who's not going to be chalky. They all kind of project similarly. And I like that. If we know the ownership's going to, if people are going to group think themselves out of the same place where we're basically like, Hey, here's eight guys that are all fine, all in a similar price range. If people are going to say gravitate to the same two or three, I mean, that's exactly what you want in a tournament because the weeks you can play similarly projected teams at lower ownership. I mean, you, you literally can't do better than that in a tournament, you know, as of kickoff. I mean, the results be what they will, but that's exactly the goal is to get as many projected points or to get as little ownership as you can without sacrificing a ton of projected points. And we might be headed for a week uh, where you can do that somewhat easily this week. You know, the one exception, like I said, I think cook is, it really is a standout play above the rest. I would wager that Swift is the only running back in the 6,000s to come in above 20%, and there are no other ones that come in above 15. If the, Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, then I'll probably play the Swift to downside and go with you and just look elsewhere just because the ownership isn't worth it. Um, and, and guys with those volatile range of outcomes, again, like Derrick Henry, you play them when they're not owned and you fade them when they're high owned. And I, I do think that makes sense. I, I really like Swift. I, I think he'd even be okay in cash, but uh, if he's going to be double all of these guys, then it, it's very difficult to justify him. Um, Cause I think at best he's probably projects a little bit better than these guys. So here in lies the problem. What do we do below 6,000? at running back because there are names like Damian Harris is has a fantastic matchup if you believe in him uh and that was the other stack that I like this week is the Houston passing game along with either Damian Harris or Jacoby Myers coming back and you know pray Rex Burkhead slips coming into the stadium or something like that and they just don't use him and pray that Cam doesn't rush in the touchdowns it's not a great situation now that I think about it I, I do like the Houston side passing attack I just can't figure out who to bring it back with but you have Gibson in this range but he's now 58 Damian Harris is 57 that's a lot of money then Kalen Bala in a decent matchup is 56 geo looks like he's going to get the start over Mixon, who was probably going to sit again he's 55 duke johnson burned everyone last week now he gets the patriots he's 5400 mckissick's only up to 52 that might be the spot i never thought i would say this i like melvin gordon at 5100 bucks i was gonna say i have to double check our projection but we have gordon as you know, a pretty solid value there and no one's going to play him. And if you look at the game log on Gordon, you see why no one's going to play him. It is, I mean, two back-to-back sub five point drafting points weeks for a starting running back is egregious, but uh, they've, they've been in these absurdly negative game scripts. You know, if at home they can keep it somewhat close uh, you know, I think the carries totals have a chance to get into 15s and, and maybe you get some goal line work. They've just been so inept. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, but if Denver can be somewhat competent, I like Gordon there. You I could, like last week's chalk failure. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you could even, if you want to like do the double pay down, you can save your money with Gordon at his price, then pay down for the Broncos defense to at 24. Yeah, that's a good mini correlation, you know, to uh, on the road and the altitude. I like last week's chalk failure and Duke Johnson. 
I know it was ugly last week, but that game in terms of the weather ended up being really bad, you know, even worse than we kind of thought going into it. As a result, Houston only ran 54 offensive plays in this game. It, you know, Duke Johnson was a lot of very low value touches, you know, the carries in between the twenties that you're just not going to rack up fantasy points doing that. What was good is he was basically the only running back that played. You know, CJ Procise had a few snaps in there and they get one target. Um, but I think we also lost some of the targets from Duke Johnson because of the weather in that game and whatnot. So uh, to get him at home in a much better environment at basically the same price tag as last week when he was mega chalk, now not that owned, is appealing to me. I will say the same thing about Duke Johnson, as I said last week, is that he is not built to be a running back who sees more than 10 carries in a game. He's a, he's a receiving back. He's a change of pace guy. The more you give him, just the less he does with it. It's like the old Lamar Miller thing. It's like, oh, Lamar Miller in Miami. <laughs> like, if you just gave him 22 touches a game, like he'd be the best running back in football. And then he went to Houston and got 22 touches a game, and he scored exactly the same amount of fantasy points as he did when he got seven touches a game. Like He's, he's not built for this. And... I agree that the price point is nice. I love the snap share, the highest of any running back last week. I just don't think there's any upside with him. Plus, you still have Watson stealing his touchdowns. That's the upside argument's a fair argument. I might be thinking too much of, of I think he might be underrated in terms of median value, but it's possible what I'm saying is true. And he's also not that great of a tournament play because my whole, I faded Duke Johnson completely last week. And my whole thesis behind it was, how many scenarios does Duke Johnson actually bury you? You know, where you're just like, I had to play the chalk Duke Johnson. And I, I suppose you could make the same argument this week as for why even at lower ownership, you know, how, how many times does he really win you a slate? I, I'll probably I, take some I, chances, but that's a fair argument. I would say you're better off just going a hundred dollars cheaper and playing McKissick who people just don't believe in and won't play again. Is this your new Chris Thompson? I've been using him every week. Hey, listen, people know this show. I've been saying when he was 4,000 bucks, play JD McKissick. When he was 4,500 bucks, play JD McKissick. I actually jumped a little bit off of him last week because I didn't think that the equity was going to be high enough to play him in tournaments, but I ended up doing it anyway because I do it every week. That he's just good. I know, but we just railed on Duke Johnson for lack of ceiling. Where's the ceiling on McKissick? I mean, he kind of hit it. We saw, we saw, we saw, we saw it last week, but like the floor with McKissick right now. Now, I don't think he's going to get 16 targets every game, but I think you can pretty handily pencil him in for like eight, nine, or 10. I have to laugh. 29 targets in two games. What what is happening? It's Alex Smith. How wild is that? When you can't throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field and the guy standing right in front of you is wide open and he's playing like, over 50% of the snaps. And like, these are valuable touches. I mean, these are the guys that you used to chastise me for playing, but we haven't seen anything like, this is like old school Reggie Bush with the way that he's doing this through the receiving game. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I think if you think 18 to 20 can get it done for you, which at 5k, maybe it gets it done for you. I think he's fine, but I think he's capped ceiling wise uh, at about 20. The, the problem is the touchdowns, and he scored his, uh, when Davis and I were talking about it a week ago, he had scored four career touchdowns. Obviously, he scores his fifth one last week. You probably shouldn't be banking on a touchdown. That's where, I think that's where the argument ends up coming in. But he's probably just as likely to score a touchdown as Duke Johnson is. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess, I think Duke, Duke Johnson's more likely to score touchdowns. You got, he's, 
the primary ball carrier. He's going to get the goal line carries. You can argue they're not going to run a lot of goal line runs to him, but he doesn't have Antonio Gibson coming in and taking him. Um, and, and Watson's a threat, but he's not the same threat as, you know, not being on the field at all. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'll buy that Duke maybe is overrated because the ceiling's not there, but I don't think the pivot to McKissick, you know, would be the move. Okay. What about, what about Naheem Hines then? I, w- I was going to say Kalen Ballage. Um, well, Bel- Bel- Hines... Belage is going to have a bunch of ownership. And I think that Duke Johnson is going to still have a bunch of ownership. Do you? Yeah. I'm not playing Belage if he's owned. That's not, not, ha- I, I don't trust Anthony Lynn. I'm not playing Belage if he's owned. He's got a history of being so mega inefficient. Um, the thing that, but still 18 carries, six targets. And now you're playing the Jets uh, at home. Uh, you do see where that workload gives you some upside. Hines. I struggle with Hines because he does have a nice mix of touchdown equity with the targets um, that you're mentioning. I think he's probably going to be a better play than pure projection systems state because when you're doing these projections, you kind of have to middle a little bit. Like what if Jonathan Taylor's role comes back somewhat, you know, they're using Jonathan Wilkins and, even though they're not using the exact same way as Hines, it still affects his total touches and it kind of caps his. Whereas if you think they might bury Jonathan Taylor, then all of a sudden the upside for Naheem Hines is really strong. I mean, we saw 12 carries from him last week by far the most on the season. You know, first time he cracked double digits. If you think that type of role can continue, I definitely see the upside in a game that despite the pace expectations of the game, which aren't great, it is somewhat interesting on this week where we have lots of those elite quarterbacks. You get a fifties total game in you know, in dome conditions. It's, it's interesting to me, but he's not on my short list though. I I don't think that maybe you can play him as a one-off, but he strikes me as the type who is 30 points or two points. There's not a, there's not a lot of outcomes where he's just 15 fantasy points. It doesn't seem to be how they've been using him so far this season. I would think that if you're going to play Hines, you do it with the Green Bay receiving stack because that's how he gets to his upside. Green Bay scores a whole bunch of points and then they have to play Hines. Yeah, a hundred percent. That, that makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, don't use them as one-off, but in stacks, use them. Um, I mean, the guy that you should probably be playing from this $5,000 range, like isn't Duke Johnson, it's Gio Bernard. Yeah, Gio is the best, I think, as far as floor-ceiling combination. He's the best. I I mean, it's it's sort of like playing Joe Mixon at this price tag. Yeah. Uh, the I saw a stat that even with Mixon's three touchdown games, even with Geo's horrendous game against Pittsburgh last week, I think they've averaged the exact same fantasy points per game and half PPR uh, in the you know Geo as the starter versus Mixon as the starter, which is kind of wild. And uh, you're getting him in a much better spot this week. Seven targets last week. He's getting the majority of the carries. You know, P Ryan has played just enough that it's annoying, but it's not enough that you're you know, significantly docking Giovanni Bernard. So I think that Gio and weirdly Melvin Gordon are the two best plays here. The only one below $5,000. And I'm not sure if people are using him or not using him. It might depend on the health of Matt Breda, but Salvan Ahmed is a good price and a pretty good matchup against Denver. Yeah, I think Breda is going to be back. So what do you make uh, of that it, situation it, then? I, I'm concerned that Ahmed doesn't have enough receiving chops you know 
with Gaskin, we saw the carries that Ahmed's getting, but we're but he also had a ton of targets. Um, Salvan only had one target last week. He had zero the week before. Breda comes back. That's not good for the targets. I do think Ahmed is the one here, right? Uh, and I do think because he's so cheap, you can get there on pure rushing if you hit that bonus. So I think there's a chance Breda just is who he was before he got hurt. He's who he was when Gaskin was around, maybe picks up a few extra passing down scenarios. I don't think he's elevating his status much behind that. So there's still room for the RB1 in Miami to get there. But as we're talking through this, I don't know, my brain just starts thinking, we're breaking holes in a lot of these guys. <laughs> Let's just play the 6K guys that, that we hit on, you know, but we really feel confident on the ceiling. The more okay, we th- that, that's fair. And that, that's how I ended up with the lineups with the Mike Davis and James Conner this mm-hmm. week. Because if you pay up for Cook or pay up for Kamara, you have to go down into this area. Yeah, you mentioned Gore. I had someone. I, 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 I'm yeah, joking. I'm he, completely joking I, about Gore. But so, <laughs> but there was a report that P. Ryan's going to get more carries. He's I not. saw some people. He's, he's not going to get yeah. more carries. They're trying yeah. to lose games. You can't, and your running back pool too. I mean, you just can't get too deep, man. I mean, that, that's when you get into trouble. You can go deep at receiver. You can go deep at tight end even. It's hard to go too deep at running back. You really start to get into trouble. And the ownership is going to be good enough on some of these guys we're more confident in that you really don't have to go super deep. So Cook is your objective favorite play. I like that. I think I'm just more likely to end up in that $6,000 area with two of them, and either Geo or Melvin Gordon is my last man in. That's how I'm thinking about my lineups this week. Yeah, I'm, I want to see what the final ownership projections come in on Cook versus Kamara. I would, say, I would say it's more than double. I, if, I'm I just gonna, if I'm going to throw it a guess right now, Cook, 35%, Kamara, 14%, Henry, 9%. Yeah. I think that might be about right, though. So then then it might just depend on my construction elsewhere. You know, if I have a chalky stack, I'm not going to play Cook. If I have a, a pretty unique stack, I'll still play Cook. But I'm with you on Bernard. Uh, I P. Ryan scares me a little bit. I did just double check, and, and they were closing carries last week, but you know, you can't split hairs too much, but I, I'm going to end up going to my grave playing Mike Davis until this McCaffrey situation. Oh, oh a- absolutely. Me too. I'm so. definitely playing Mike Davis. The only reason Trenton yeah. Cannons got any run last week because Davis had to come out of the game for a little bit. And it was the worst possible matchup that he, that was a, a situation in a matchup against Tampa where McCaffrey could only succeed by scoring two touchdowns that Mike Davis just wasn't going to do that. Now he gets the best matchup possible. Looking at the snap yeah. shares from last week, Geo played 67% of the snaps. P Ryan played 25. Like, that's good enough for me at 5,500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fine. He's going to get the targets too. I mean, it might be, you might get a vulture at the goal line that you're annoyed with, but um, there, there's enough upside there. Um, I, I'm with you on Gio. Let's switch to receiver. One thing that I've really gotten off of doing. So I've actually started to play some of these smaller tournaments. I've been playing in the Pat Mayo experience listeners league came fifth in it two weeks ago. It was fantastic news. Mike made some money for once and like gave it all away. Oh. The, then gave it all away at the masters. Well, not all of it away. Most of it away <laughs> at the masters C- kept some to lose this week too. But these small, like you mentioned the $50 spy where you can cut that down to like 500 entries. I've been playing a lot of like man, 222 people tournaments. I've just been succeeding a whole lot more in those contests. I'm not winning tens of thousands of dollars, but every week, you know, you look in and you're like, you 
you know, I invest like 600 bucks and, you know, 1300 comes back. It's like, all right, it's pretty, I should probably just be playing double ups at this thing. But if you win one, then obviously it's a little bit more than that. But I think you kind of hit on it that you don't need to be perfect in order to do that. And if people know me and my picks, definitely not perfect, but I have enough, <laughs> enough like good hits from time to time that I can really capitalize on that in these smaller field tournaments. That's why I'm really gearing everything around right now. Like the low owned stacks that you talked about, like the week that I came in fifth, I had the Mahomes with McCaffrey stack. Uh, in that Carolina and Chiefs game that no one else seemingly wanted, which was really bizarre to me. It cost a lot of money. But here's where I get to with receivers, that essentially all my high-priced receivers are no longer one-offs. They are only included in my top-end stacks. That's that's it. Like, if I'm going to go one-off, it's with the cheap guys. Yeah, I think there's some room to still one-off expensive receivers, depending on the build, but... Uh, to your broader point though, the key in those smaller field tournaments is you can set it up so that one or two things goes right. And you're, you're immediately in contention to win the tournament, you know, one chalk piece fails and your stack goes off, boom, you know, just those two things happening. Uh, and because you've played a stack, you know, that takes care of almost half your lineup right there. And, you know, you're not trying to hit a nine leg parlay, right. You know, you're trying to reduce the amount of things you have to get right. So that makes a ton of sense. I think this week, there's even more credence though to using the expensive receiver in a stack because just given the quarterback situation, if an expensive receiver goes off, that quarterback has a really good chance of being a top value. Whereas other weeks that might not have been true this week, that really seems to be true. Uh, and just taking a look, I mean, we just, we've lost a, a decent bit of firepower in terms of passing games this week, just because of the teams that are on the slate. I like the point you made about Derrick Henry is that if he's high owned, don't play him. If he's low owned, always play him. That's the same way that I feel about Tyreek Hill, who's not on this slate either, is that for whatever reason, people like if he has a bad game, people don't like to go back to him. But anytime that you can get him around like 5%, just play him every time. It might not work every time, but when it does work, you win. Yeah, we're all game log chasers. Even the good players have a tendency to game log chase. So if you can, you know, remove that. And same thing with matchups too. Those are things that, get double counted a lot where, you know, if you're using projections, even if you're not, I think sometimes we say, okay, like we, we account for the matchup in some way, but then we also use the matchup as a tiebreaker. And then before we know it, you know, we're double, triple counting the fact that someone's in a bad matchup. And I actually really like Jeff Radcliffe does the wide receiver cornerback matchup tool. He populates those on FTNDaily.com. You can check that link in the description uh, to go check that out. It's really valuable to have. I really like this information. Use code Mayo. You can get the discount off the discount already. Well worth it, along with the projections to go get right now and all the other premium tools. But I find the matchups don't matter for elite guys. So last week, DK Metcalf was shut down by Jalen Ramsey. That's going to happen. But... When you talk about gaining leverage on people, well, you're not always going to be right, and it's going to be a failure sometimes. Elite receivers with perceived really bad matchups, I find are usually a play. I I really like using the wide receiver cornerback matchups as in conjunction with ownership, right? Where if people are overplaying the wide receiver cornerback matchup, it's an easy fade. But if there's a really good one, and for some reason the guy's not owned, well, then I'm going to play that guy. You know, does that make sense where you're sort of saying, I don't know how important this is, but I'll take my chances on it being important when, I, when it's going to really help me. So if a guy's chalky and in a bad cornerback matchup, then 
I might fade the guy. But okay, here, 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 a- here's an example of what I'm talking about. Like uh, Jalen Rager this week is expected to draw Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward is one of the better corners in the league, at least so far this season. I mean, based on his pedigree, based on his performance, that's been the case. If it wasn't Jalen Rager and it was, I don't know, Julio Jones, I wouldn't care that it was Denzel Ward because it's Rager. Now I do care a little bit. So, and, and my my perspective is if Rager is going to be chalky, then I'm going to say, well, that scares me against a good cornerback matchup. But if Rager is going to be sub 5% and people are scared off this matchup, then maybe I'll roll the dice that it just ends up not mattering that much. Or we well, just, I, I can assure you he will be sub 5%. <laughs> so then I'm, I'm firing up Rager then I, I like him at sub 5%. All right. Well, let's go to the top here. Is there any one of these expensive guys that you would play as a one-off? Because when I'm trying to think through what is going to be the contrarian stack this week, I actually think it's that one we mentioned earlier, the green Bay passing game stack. Yeah. I mean, Devonte Adams looks like a phenomenal option. You know, they do get Lazard back, not that he's going to steal anything from Adams. You, you just wonder, is Adams going to be, you know, a 30% target share guy, or is he going to be like this crazy 35 plus percent target but share even, guy? But that... even if he's a 30% target share and like that's his floor, I still think that makes him worth the 8,600 bucks. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's he's a good play. I'm just making the note that it, it's basically, is he a good player or is he a, a must play at this ownership? You know, is, is the difference there. Um do you have to stack Adams is a good question. And I think based on what we talked about, you're probably better off stacking Adams given the complexion of this week that if at 8,600, he gets to where he needs to get to, to win your tournament, you know, there's a really good shot. Rogers is in the top five. And, and that, and uh, I think that's a really key point because Adams is going to be chalky. He's chalky every single week. He's like plus 20% owned plus 30% owned sometimes, but Rogers never is. That's a way to make your lineup different and use Devontae Adams, as logical as that sounds. And then the Julio one, I mean, have you seen an update on Ridley's health? That He's practicing. Like he's going to play. So I'm kind of more on Ridley than Julio. Play them both. A little play them both. Play both. Yeah, double stack then, right? Are you just going to do a huge New Orleans game on slot with Jameis? Yes. Yes. And I think I like that, yes. and I, I think that the other way around, like if I, I'm probably only going to play three to five lineups this week, and then three of them will probably be allocated to that game. So I'll probably play two Jameis, one Matt Ryan. Uh, that'll be just a way to break it up a little bit. And then I'll probably sub Julio out and one for Hurst and then Ridley out and one for Gage or Hurst. And then kind of do the same thing with the other side of the Saints game that I'll sub out Sanders for Cook in one of them potentially. The nice thing about stacking with Ryan is you know, he, he doesn't have any rushing equity and he completes a ton of passes when he has this big game. So with the DraftKings scoring system, guys can get there in so many different ways. Whereas a different quarterback, you might say, I'm not going to play Ridley and Julio because it's too much salary. I, I'm sacrificing too much ceiling to play them both together. Matt Ryan, that's not the case because one guy can go 10 for 100 and get there on catches yardage bonus. And another guy can catch two touchdowns and get there. Uh, we've seen... I think week one, he threw for over 400 yards. Three separate receivers were over 100 yards. So Ryan is one of the most stack-friendly quarterbacks that I have found really in all of fantasy. People aren't using Julio Jones this week because they're afraid of Marshawn Lattimore. Where did this come from? Is it the Lattimore Mike Evans trash talk where Lattimore always shuts down Mike Evans? I don't know. Yeah, you know you know who's not Mike Evans? Julio Jones. <laughs> 
You really think he's going to be low owned? I think people are going to play him. I don't no, know. We'll see. I, I don't think so. I, it's just because of the the expensive running back. Like I would guess that the most common two players in people's lineups this week are going to be Cook and Adams. And if that's the case, then you can't play Julio Jones because you don't have enough money. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if people are more scared off of Michael Thomas after the, you know, he laid an egg last week and now the Jameis situation. Yeah, I'm sort of leaning. I mean, you're playing them both. And you're, so I guess it doesn't matter too much to you. But if I had to choose, you know, I think I would put MT Ridley ahead of Julio, uh, you know, in my pecking order. And I think a lot of people are on the same page as you. Plus, Julio is the most expensive of those three guys. And thus, I don't think that a lot of people will play Julio. And there, I just, I've seen it like I so rarely notice any of this stuff on Twitter, but I've just seen a lot of chatter about Lattimore this week and be like, oh, Julio can't beat him. It's like Lattimore's given up an 80% catch rate this year. I know he was banged up for a bit, but he's not a lockdown corner. He can have good games. He could definitely defend Julio and Julio could have a bad game. And those things can be completely independent of each other too. But if you're going to give me like a relatively, like a moderately owned Julio in a game total, which is so high, like give it to hook me in. So the guy who's not going to get played though at all in this range is going to be AJ Brown. Yes, correct. And you know, what are you doing with grown ass man, AJ Brown, just like, just like his, Teammate Derrick Henry, he's another kind of you just hit the go button on him when people aren't playing him. 7,200 steep for someone who's not going to be a target hog, but getting eight to nine targets with his playmaking ability, I think, is enough. And I think this week, too, I think we're headed towards a lower scoring week overall where you know, AJ Brown gets to 101. That's enough. I don't know. We don't need to see you know. 10 catch game which i mean some of these guys have you know Devonte adams michael thomas keenan allen they have 10 catch upside that aj brown does not have um but i think he'll be in the five percent range and these other guys will probably all end up double digits yeah i don't think i could get to aj brown as a one-off i'd rather use that price and that salary cap to pay up for my stacks uh, up in this even if i use like herbert and keenan well, allen i would want to do that instead what if you're a glutton for punishment and you go back to Lamar and you bring back AJ Brown? So you play Lamar by himself and then AJ Brown on the Well, back. Lamar with, I mean, you've got with Marquise who? or Andrews. Oh, great. So, so you're just going to lose Mark, all your money again. Mark, Mark Andrews. Yeah. I, Mark I'll, Andrews will at least drop at least five touchdowns. <laughs> Maybe he'll catch two and drop three and then I'm good. And then AJ Brown brings it back. And then Willie Steen will have like two touchdowns. That'll be nice. Or or Jean-Luc Ricard will end up rushing one in. That will be fun. I, I think I'm in on that game. That, I think that's a low-key good good stack game. I think I mean are, if you're if you're gonna play Lamar, you bring it back with Derrick Henry. Like what are we talking about here? Well, if you play a couple Lamar teams, you can bring one back with Henry, you can bring one back with AJ Brown. Brown's probably gotten too expensive that you could bring it back with both kind of like you could in that matchup against Houston earlier when Brown was like this stupid 5,800 price, but yeah, 7,200 is too much to play Henry and Brown together. Most likely. If you go to FTN daily right now, there's a free air yards tool up there. Uh, it's linked in the description of the video. I suggest everyone kind of go check it out. It's fun to use uh, just to kind of fuck around with. There's also the Whopper stat, which is like team air yards and team market share combined into one. And when you look at it, obviously Devontae Adams is the guy on that list. But number two is Jacoby Myers, and he's 4900 bucks. But I think like this has become a narrative 
that's going through. He had the big game two weeks ago. He threw a touchdown in a primetime game last week in a game that they won against the Ravens. Tough defense. Jacoby Myers came through again. I don't know what to do with him because the price is really good, but I worry about the lack of passing volume for the Patriots. Yeah, it's a conundrum. I mean, Jacoby Myers, the last three weeks, his target shares, I believe, are 40%, 40%, and 39%. I don't know if I've ever seen a three-week stretch like that, uh, but it's also not comparable to most other receivers' three-week stretches because the lack of pass volume overall. This is a good game, though. I know you're on the Houston side, and I think that that's good. I think both sides of this game are strong. You can bring – I would bring back Houston with Jacoby Myers – Hope this game gets sped up a little bit, maybe forces New England to throw, I don't know, a little more than usual or just not less than usual. He's getting such a high target share. So I'm pretty into Jacoby Myers. I don't think he's, I mean, 4,900 is a bad price on him, in my opinion. I don't really understand this price tag, quite frankly. It feels like he should be 6K. Yeah, it feels like he should be in like the T Higgins, Deontay Johnson range. Yeah, at least, yeah, at least there. I mean, so I think what people are scared of is the bottom could drop out if the target shares, let's say, 20% and they don't throw a lot. And all of a sudden, a guy that seems super safe is struggling to get the double-digit points. But at that salary, man, I think you take the risk on Jacoby Myers. We'll see where the ownership comes in on him. I'm gonna um, guess that's fi- the one thing I'm gonna guess fifteen percent. I'm in at fifteen percent. I think that's okay. I think that's pretty tolerable for because I think the upside is meaningful. You know, we talked about some other guys at running back where we were questioning the upside. I think anytime you've got a chance to see 12 targets in a game and you're this price tag, you know, you don't need explosive plays to hit upside. And we saw it with Cole Beasley last week for the Bills. Sometimes these slot guys that rack up targets we sort of demean their upside. We act like it's not there, but you know, volume gives you upside, even if you're not necessarily making big plays. So I, I'm in on Jacoby Myers, even if the ownership's moderate. I think that the pivot playoff Myers is just at the same price. Use the 1% owned Emmanuel Sanders. No, he will be 1% owned. I'll give you that. But if you're like, if I'm someone who's going to actively attack that game, that's the piece that needs to go off for me. Yeah, right, right, right. Because that's your kind of differentiator. You play the New Orleans Atlanta game, you get the differentiator that is correlated. And if you're taking a gamble like that, I think it has to be correlated. Otherwise, I don't think you can justify a Manny. But I, I don't know if you need to do that necessarily. Um, I don't know. I think there's ways you could stack that game and still play Myers, get you your cap relief. I think he's a very strong play. Uh, I can see that too. What about this lower $6,000 area? Only like you have Will Fuller mixed in there is a good play. Thielen and Jefferson, both good plays, probably going to be relatively under-owned because people, if you use Cook, you're probably not going to use either of those. Like, does a Kirk Cousins stack make any sense? I think so. Uh, it's a good week for it where you don't need him to go nuclear and you. it's really good leverage off of a chalky Dalvin Cook. I'm trying to see what's the price tag on Kirk. 6,200. It's a little, I mean, Kirk Cousins is, is a 5k type quarterback with his volume and lack of rushing ability, but uh, it's the right week for it. And the Dallas bring back will probably be unowned. And, you know, with Dalton back, you know, you just hope to get some semblance of competence. The prices have dropped. I mean, Cooper's 5,400. 
CD Lambs, 5,000. Gallops in the 3,000s. Good. I mean, goodness gracious. Michael Gallup at 3,700. Now, that's that's a GPP play, if I've seen one, is taking a shot on Gallup at 3,700. So I do like that strategy. I think that's interesting. Uh, and Justin Jefferson, I mean, he's he's just absurd with his efficiency on deep balls playing with Kirk cousins. It's absolutely incredible what he's doing. We're at the point, you know, now where, you know, we're projecting him to outscore Adam Thielen even with less targets because of his ability to be successful down the field. Factoring in ceiling and what they can do. I actually have Justin Jefferson as the highest value points per dollar on the board, followed by Jacoby Myers. Those would be the top two. And then strangely enough, it's like Devontae Adams, as it always is. Then the Carolina guys like every week. Why do projection systems love the Carolina guys? So the struggle, and I went, said this with Mike Davis, they've had some weeks where they haven't run a lot of plays, but when they do run an NFL level amount of plays, it's a really, even though there's four guys, those are the four guys for the most part. I mean, it's, it's Mike Davis, Samuel, Robbie, DJ Moore. Those four guys are combining for what? 90% target share. So that's, an average of more than 20% for each of those guys, which is pretty strong at guys that are priced in the five to six K range. So that's why projection systems like them. The risk is, as we've seen, it's just a systemic risk when the bottom drops out on the offense and they just don't run a lot of plays or they're not scoring a lot of points. There aren't going to be enough fantasy points to go around. So, but that's why projection systems like Carolina quite a bit. And, and, you know, Robbie is in that 6K range. I just had someone else I wanted to point out. And now I sort of, oh, you mentioned Will Fuller at, in the 6Ks, but Brandon Cook's in the low fives. Oh, yeah. Out targeting and, and that's pretty consistent. And that's the move right there. Like you can either go Watson, Fuller, Cooks, Watson, Cooks, Cobb. I think those are the, the two stacks that you go with. Yeah. Yeah, that looks that looks pretty good to me. Because um, Cobb is thirty six hundred bucks. That's a ton of savings. Like if you had to go down, like do you think you will go below Jacoby Myers this week at receiver? Yeah. So there's a few guys I think are Hamler at thirty six, Mims at thirty three for like a deep Mims shot. at thirty three. I'll get killed. I've been arguing in the ETR Slack. Somehow I've managed to be the guy who likes old guys. But, AJ Green. Yeah. Oh God. Thir- I mean, 3,600 in a matchup where Burrow is going to project well across the industry. Um, yeah. I mean, last time we left AJ Green for dead, he followed it up with 11 targets and 13 targets. You know, he went eight for 96, seven for 82. But that feels like, like, like he's not scoring touchdowns either. I think I'd rather take the guy that could do it all in one. Like, I'd rather play Gallup at that price. I'd rather play Jakeem Grant at that same price. Yeah. I guess the question is, are we like, should we really assume he can't score touchdowns? I don't, you know, like I understand he's, he's getting older. We have to dock his chances scoring touchdowns. We have to dock his ability to make big plays. But if you're going to see, if you can see 10 targets, I mean, you can score a touchdown, you know, it's not, it can't happen. I mean, we see dusty guys score touchdowns all the time. Sure. But then I look at someone like, Gallup, who could definitely score zero points in this game, but it feels like with the quality of his target that if he hits, he hits big and that he does score a touchdown on his deep shot. Yeah. I mean, what I'm looking at is we have a couple AJ Green games with double digit targets where he scored around 17 DraftKings points. 
Listen, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you t- if you tell me like 17 DraftKings points for AJ Green's price at 3,500 bucks, yeah, I will take, I will play him in every lineup. That would not be right, a problem. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's without a touchdown. So I think the upside there is probably more than people think. It might not be a huge probability. There's obviously not a big probability of him hitting it, but I think it's higher than people think because I think the target volume, I think you can get to 15 without scoring. And anytime you're a receiver, you can get to 15 without scoring. You know, you're kind of free rolling the touchdown at that point if you're only thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, let's talk tight ends. Um, Logan Thomas, thirty three hundred. We done? <laughs> LT three, man. What a wild ride it's been with him this year. And how bad has tight end been? It's, it's been, horrible. Like that. That's why you play it, Logan Thomas. He's cheap. So if he scores zero, it's not that big of a deal. But he gets like three for fifty every week, and maybe he'll fall into the end zone. I'm also looking, I mean, you want to go super cheap. If we're going to that Green Bay Colts game, maybe Moelle Cox. I don't no, know. Why, why you want it? Like Jack disaster. Doyle is probably going to be back in this game. So now you have a three-way yeah. monster at tight end. Like at least give me the guy who's playing like 95% of the snaps. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just digging for like other cheap guys. Like Ferks are at 2,500. His role has been growing in that Tennessee Baltimore game. Just take to Why, why not just take Thomas? I think Thomas is good, you know, given alternatives. I think... Then Tunyon's the guy. Yeah, Tunyon's just been getting killed on volume recently, but he's, well, he's got the touchdown. He's 3,200 bucks. Like, they're all, they all get Ferkser's killed on volume. What's that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ferkser might... Like, Ferkser is a legit zero potential guy. <laughs> well, and, he, and even if he you know does, what, you know what we've learned, Pat, is I mean, all you, these guys but here's are the zero thing. Even, guys. even if he hits, it's going to be like... Two catches for nine yards and a touchdown. At least if Tunyon hits, it's like four for 75 and a touchdown. Listen, do not forget the 28-point Anthony Ferkser game, okay? Are you projecting, a, you are you projecting a Johnny Smith injury here? <laughs> All right, but we completely glossed over that there are, on paper, <laughs> good 4K plays that every week end up stinking, but they exist. You know, TJ Hawkinson finally... For the love of God, I don't know why he kept getting priced above 5K and was like basically unusable. But even with Galladay back, you get him down to 4,200. You're at a point where the red zone roll is good enough that a touchdown gets him there. I mean, Rob Gronkowski led all tight ends in scoring last week basically just because he scored. So I think Hawkinson's in play. Let the you know the chalk failure from last week is even cheaper now. And Dallas Goddard, assuming he's you know good to go, and then. I'm an absolute sucker for Mark Andrews. What kills me about Andrews though is he's going to be chalk, and I really don't like playing him into chalk. But I think he's going to end up being chalky um, because there's just not very many high-profile names here this week. Uh, I would, if I wasn't one of those guys, I would just kind of I would play the tight end from the game stack that I wanted to do. So I'll probably end up with some Cook and Hayden Hurst if that's the case. But just like as a one-off, if I'm not going to use Thomas to save the salary, I think I'd roll the dice on Austin Hooper, who I like quite a bit before the injury. No one did anything in that game in Cleveland last week. Although, should I just not play people in the Cleveland game because it's like 95-mile-per-hour wins every time? Yeah, is that... Do, do we have another one of those four? I, I, I have, I have no not. idea. I'm going to wake up on Sunday morning. It's like, Oh my God, it's a hell on earth in Cleveland. They have had the two worst games of the season. We've had some bad win games, but by far the two worst have been in Cleveland. It doesn't seem uh, like the win has affected any other game except for the ones in Cleveland. Like last week it was like, Oh, you can't play Packers. It's too windy. And it was fine. 
Well, the, I mean, I have gone back and looked at it and the play calling has changed in those games on the whole. So, but the thing is most of the time it's small impacts, right? It's, you know, they're running the ball 5% more than we expected. The pass efficiencies fine, right? That's what happens most of the time. I mean, Pittsburgh was kind of a win game last week and I think they threw for four touchdowns. So, but then every once in a while you get a game that five minutes in, you're like, this game is toast. <laughs> and that that's been the Cleveland game twice. So we'll see, but I do like Hooper at 3,900. I think that his target share was getting to a really good spot before he missed time due to injury. And I think it's probably something people are sleeping on. Um, especially after last week's disaster of a game that really just shouldn't be used too much quarterbacks we'll talk about quarterbacks and we'll rank our favorite stacks here as one-off plays you had mentioned lamar earlier that's something you're Mm -hmm. probably going to do would you play just lamar by himself and not stack that up i'm probably single stacking him with either marquise brown or mark andrews and then definitely bringing back a tennessee guy so i'll do a skinny with lamar um, but I'll at least single him. I know you can play him solo because of the rushing, but I think the receivers and this week too, the way this week shakes up, I really want the correlation in my lineup. The only one I could see playing by himself, just because the price is so good is Burrow and just not knowing where that ball is going to go. I'm not going to do it, but I can, I can understand that play. I, I think, but I think when he hits, he, he in a way is like, mini Matt Ryan, when, when Burrow hits, even though he spreads it around, he throws so much that guys are getting there. Right. I mean, two of Boyd Higgins and green are going to get there. If Burrow really gets there. So I, I think I, I'm probably doubling Burrow. All right. I, I I, I'm not going to play. Him, maybe so I, Cam- I, I didn't really think about it that much. Cam, you yeah. can always play by himself, but are you really going to play Cam? I don't, th- I don't know. I, I think he's in the mix this week, but He's not at the top, but just the allure of potentially in a softer, he's had some kind of tougher matchups. The allure in a softer matchup, you know, running for two touchdowns is, is there. I mean, I guess the argument is he ran for two touchdowns against the Jets and still only scored, you know, 25 points. And that's good, but it's not amazing. Yeah, so for me, in the stacks that I prefer, I like the game stack of Saints and Falcons. I like the game stack on the Houston side of Houston and the Patriots. I'll try to figure out who to bring it back with. If everyone's going to use Jacoby Myers, I might use Damian Harris in that spot, and hopefully he rushes for the touchdowns and Sony Michelle stays sidelines or is inactive. And I do think that Packers stack is like the sneaky stack. That's the highest total game. Mm-hmm. It is not something people are talking about. It's playing Rodgers. You go Rodgers, Adams, Save money with Tunyon, save money with Hines, and you can still pay up for other guys. Yeah, I think it makes sense. My favorites right now are probably, I'm worried the Watson one's going to end up catching ownership. So I'll say Burrow, Lamar, and man, those are my two favorites. (laughs) Not not Flack. I I could see a Herbert bounce back. uh, And this is a week where Herbert could really elevate. But then, then you're, you know, are you are you playing the Mims bring back? I don't know. Perriman um, played well with Flacco last time. The problem about, with the problem with Herbert is I think you have to do a skinny one with that. I don't think you want to go triple stack because some weeks it's Hunter Henry, and then it's Jeff's buddy yeah. Parham, and then Mike Williams will randomly score three touchdowns in a game. Like it's hard to find the other piece. What about Roethlisberger? We haven't talked about the Pittsburgh guys, but I, I'm playing. Really... Like this is why I'm playing Connor. 
Like, I just don't want to involve... It's not that the Pittsburgh passing game mm-hmm. is bad by any means. It's really good. It's just, I can't figure out... Like, what, are you going to quad stack them together? You're not doing that. If you do that, then Ebron will so, score all the touchdowns. I, I do this pass rate over expectation thing for each week to kind of help me with the projections. The first six weeks of the season, five of the six weeks, Pittsburgh was below expectation in terms of pass rate. The last five... The last four weeks, they have exceeded their pass rate expectation by 10 plus points, which is a big margin. So it might be worth guessing uh, because if you can get 40 plus pass attempts in a good matchup, I mean, last week they crushed Cincinnati and still threw the ball 46 times. Like that's pretty appealing to me. So I think I would I, rather just play, on that. instead of doing that stack, I think I'd rather just play Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Claypool and Juju too, though. I love them all. And it does seem like they're starting to condense a little bit. Those guys, Claypool, Johnson, and Juju are starting to, they're starting to, they're not, they haven't completely phased out James Washington, but he's starting to drop off. Yeah, but it, whenever James Washington Connor falls off, then all of a sudden like Ray Ray McLeod's involved in the game. But as a whole, I mean, if you look at the snap shares and the combined target shares of those main three guys, it's going up as a group. So I don't know. I like it. I like it. And you can bring it back with Chark or something. Uh, AJ Brown, this is from Andrew Erickson. AJ Brown's stat lines after one catch game so far this year, three for 94 and two touchdowns, four for 135 and a touchdown, four for 124 and a touchdown. So maybe that's your guy. Let's go. Uh, Defenses, before we get out of here. I mentioned the Broncos earlier. Um, I don't love the Broncos this week. I actually think Miami wins that game. But if we're talking about fantasy defense, they do generate a lot of pressure. They're at home. It should be a close game. We haven't seen Tua under a bunch of duress since that first game at the Rams in like the first quarter before they jumped out to a huge lead. And they're 2400 bucks. That's what it really boils down to. If not, I think objectively price per like price point per dollar Washington. I just play Washington every week and they're an awesome fantasy defense. Yeah, they get pressure on the quarterback and they're going to face pass attempts. You know, Cincinnati will throw the football a decent bit. Burrow will take some sacks and that that generates, you know, your upside for defense. People worry too much about points allowed. You know, that matters a little bit, but really you want to see pass attempts because that's opportunities for sacks, opportunities for picks, which turns into opportunities for defensive touchdowns. And I honestly think you could go the other side of that game, Cincinnati at 2,300, just because I don't think Washington's that good that, you know, it's worth maybe punting with Cincinnati. Uh, And also what about, you know, the Falcons against Jameis, you know, Jameis makes mistakes and it's pretty much a pump price. You, You can do it. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily would like that is if you wanted to fade that game and completely didn't want to play Jameis, didn't want to play the receivers, didn't want to play the Atlanta side, Atlanta D might be the way to go and just get access to the game and hope that's where the scoring comes or just bad picks. Yeah. Like, and hope like, that. Is, is that a corollary play Jameis with Atlanta's defense? <laughs> like Jameis throws two touchdowns to the um, other team and then he has to throw 60 times. Yeah, he broke correlation systems last year, right, Uh, with some of those outputs. I do think that pass catchers against defenses is not nearly as taboo as people make it out to be. Because sometimes, I mean, that's good, right? You get a D touchdown, and then you get the team throwing a lot. The quarterback's a little tougher because you need touchdowns, and the picks are negatives, and, you know, it's a little tougher. But pass catchers, don't be afraid, especially cheap pass catchers, cheap pass catchers against uh, the opposing defenses. 
totally fine. I, I know I like the Houston side of the ball, but New England is third in pressure rate so far this season on defense. And we know that the Texans have one of the worst offensive lines. Yeah, they take a ton of sacks. I'm looking at kind of what we have for our sack rate for Houston. And it's a little bit lower this year than it's been in the past, but I, it's still I, one of the higher ones. I, at adjusted sack rate, I have uh, Houston's offense at 8.4% adjusted sack rate on offense, which is fourth highest in the league. The most sack, Giants, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Houston, then Miami. That's why mm-hmm. I kind of like Denver's D. You have a top five sack rate team. Now, a lot of that was with Fitzpatrick. That's not parsed out for Tua data yet. But the blitz percentage from Denver is super high. Yeah, and Brandon Thorne for us at ETR does O-line, D-line mismatches each week. And a lot of times I honestly wait to look at my defense stuff till I read that article because that stuff matters a decent bit. So I think lining up the adjusted sack rates makes a ton of sense. And that's generally why Washington, even though they're not a great team, keeps being a productive fantasy defense. You know, they've got Chase Young. They're getting pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, Washington right now. Let's see here. In pressure rate, where is Washington? They're like middle, they're upper number 11 on the year. They get pressure on the quarterback 24% of the time. The difference between them and other teams, they do not blitz at a super high rate. They only blitz around 28% of the time. Pressure without blitzing. Yeah, they have a good, they have a really good front seven. And it also, they've played some, some pretty bad teams this year. Well, that's not their fault. That's the division that they're in. So that will do it on the Pat Mayo experience. You can find my cheat sheet up on Friday or Saturday on DKPlaybook.com. I had that live show, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on FTN Daily. If you want to get access to all of the tools and that show, it's a premium show, uh, the optimizer, the projections, all that fun stuff, FTNDaily.com code Mayo gets you that discount. Leone, what you got coming out? Yeah, I've got, like I said, a weekly GPP show at Establish the Run with Drew Dinkmeyer that I do on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. if you're a subscriber. And we'll also have some Black Friday sales. So keep a lookout for that and for our NBA product coming up with NBA set to tip off at the end of December. All right. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Two Girls One Cup. Is that what it is? <laughs> at two hats one mic oh yes that's right correct uh you can follow me <laughs> at the pme twitter facebook and instagram uh of course again play in the pat mayo experience listeners league the link is in the description smash the like button on the way out rate and review the audio podcast and i will be back on friday with the injury report on the pat mayo experience i'll be live with brad evans 10 a.m eastern time sunday mornings taking your questions i'm pat mayo thank you all for watching i'll see you next time Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.